Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hello and welcome to Brexit Unspun. This is where we debunk the political spin around Brexit. I'm Shona Jenkins. In our first episode, I'm joined by Sarah Gordon, our business editor, and James Blitz, our Whitehall editor, to discuss the vexed issue of the timetable for Britain's departure from the EU. Britain has until the end of March 2019 to negotiate an exit agreement with the other EU states. But there is already a big gulf between what Britain wants and what EU leaders appear prepared to agree. Theresa May, the UK Prime Minister, wants to keep the cost of the divorce as low as possible. And she wants to agree a trade deal that will protect Britain's access to European markets before the UK leaves. EU officials say that the divorce bill must be settled and the terms of exit agreed before any deal on trade and future relations can be agreed. James, what are politicians on both sides of the divide saying about the timetable? Well, as you say, Shona, both the UK and the EU know that they have to agree this something within two years. Britain will definitely leave the EU in March 2019. That's under the terms of the Article 50 rules. The British and Theresa May believe that a great deal can be accomplished in that period. The Europeans are saying the divorce side of things, which is dealing with inherited issues, the rights of EU citizens, the bill that the British have got to pay, and the border with Northern Ireland and the relationship with Northern Ireland, all that has got to be agreed before you get on to the free trade agreement. Now, The reality is, if we want to take the Brexit unspun theme, is that nobody in Europe and very, very few specialists believe that the divorce can be done and that you can get close to a complete free trade agreement. At the best, there will be a political statement at the end of the two years that very roughly sets out where the British will go in terms of their free trade agreement with the EU, and there will then be a transitional period lasting at least three years, probably, so that everything else can be sorted out. Sarah, if I could turn to you, how long do you think this political posturing will continue before the negotiations begin in earnest? Well, there are a lot of separate issues affecting the timetable. I mean, just to add to what James was saying, one of the big issues is the sequencing of the discussions. And I think Theresa May, it's widely felt, certainly within the EU itself, has lost the argument for concomitant discussions about the price that we'll have to pay for the divorce and negotiations around a new trade agreement. What that means, in effect, is that only when the divorce bill has been settled will the EU be prepared to get on to the negotiations about the terms of the new relationship between Britain and the bloc. Now, realistically, this is going to be an enormously controversial issue. I mean, obviously, figures as large as 100 billion euros have started to be banded about. That's a gross figure and highly unlikely to be the final negotiating position of the EU. But whatever the demand is, there's likely to be pushback from the British. If you don't get an agreement on the divorce, and we can talk in a minute about how the electoral timetable in Europe affects that stage, 
if you don't get agreement on that probably by Christmas this year, the likelihood of us reaching any kind of agreement on the new arrangement is nil. So where do you think that leaves British companies? Well, British companies, the thing that they're most worried about, what they say to me is that they can deal with whatever Brexit arrangements are in place as long as they know what they are. What they're most worried about is that at the moment there is absolutely no clarity about what those arrangements will be. And more importantly, they're very worried about the prospect of a cliff edge, i.e. by March, April 2019, no agreement having been reached and us defaulting into a no agreement position where the rules are very unclear. I mean, people talk about us defaulting to WTO rules, but that massively oversimplifies how complex the situation would actually be for companies wanting to go on trading with their EU partners. So they're very worried about the cliff edge. Now, a big issue which we can talk about later is how the election in the UK will hopefully reduce the likelihood of that cliff edge by extending a transition period. But that is at the moment British business's big worry. So turning to you again, James, this is a very high stakes negotiation and both sides are claiming to have the strong hand. Who's correct? I don't think there's any question that the EU side has the stronger hand. The British have always gone in with a weaker hand. They go in with a weaker hand, first of all, because they are one against 27. Secondly, the 27 in this first phase have been remarkably united on their approach to Brexit. There's been very little sign of real disagreement between member states. If you can compare this to the kind of disagreements you saw within the EU over the migrant crisis or the Greek crisis, there's an extraordinarily high degree of unity. Plus, you've seen Europe overcoming all of the threats of populism up till now anyway in Netherlands, France, and almost certainly will do so in Germany. So the British are in a much harder position. And the British are also basically asking for something quite difficult. The position of Mrs May is, I will end membership of the single market, I leave the customs union, and I leave the European Court of Justice. But I want you to give me as much as you can, all the attributes of membership in those areas, even though we are not part of the system. Now, that is a very, very hard thing to ask. And for many European leaders, if Britain looks like it is going to leave this process actually as well off or better off than it was as an EU member, that is only going to fuel populism in the future. So for that reason, the British have a much harder task in this negotiation. I think one of the problems as well is that the British public is being fed very contradictory information to what you've just said. I mean, it is the case that the EU is in the stronger position. There is no debate about it. But to read most of the press on every side of the spectrum, it is as if the UK is dictating the terms and the timetable of the negotiations. And I think that's worrying because it's obviously misinformation. I think it's also worrying in terms of the UK election because I think it sets expectations for the next two years which are simply totally unrealistic. You've brought us, um, Sarah, quite nicely to the topic of elections. How do you think the other elections that are coming up in Europe will affect the negotiations? We've got Germany for one. Well, I think Germany in September, it's hugely important. I think the problem is, is less about the outcome of the German election than simply the very fact that it's happening. I think until a new German government is in power, there's going to be deep unwillingness to any kind of compromise on any of these issues because compromise is seen inherently as a vote loser. So not only do you not know who will be leading the negotiations in Germany, but you also don't know when those negotiations can really start in earnest until after that has happened. I think the second thing to point out as well is that we 
don't know what the political situation in France is going to be. It is very possible that with legislative elections in June, you have a very unstable political equilibrium in France. And that also makes intransigence more likely than compromise. And so that would also feed into delays and disagreements. I think, I mean, you know, the other thing to add to that is that politically, the tone in Europe is extremely unhelpful. I don't think it's helpful in the UK, I must hasten to add. But I think the rhetoric that's being used from Jean-Claude Juncker and others is partly to do with the political message that the EU is trying to get across in what is a very turbulent year politically for them. I very much agree with you, and I think the trouble is, this is one of the reasons why a lot of people said to Theresa May, don't trigger Article 50 so quickly, because in actual fact this period between March 2017 and October, November is basically a phony war, and very little of any substance is going to happen and lots of unnecessary unpleasantness is happening. James, the UK, of course, is having its own election, and Theresa May has claimed that if she gets a strong mandate in June, this will strengthen her hand in negotiations. Is this true? No, it's not. And I think, given the title of the series, Brexit Unspun, I think we can safely say this is the most debunkable thing of all. It does not matter at all, in terms of the negotiations, what kind of majority the Conservatives have. On the morning of June the 9th, Michel Barnier, the chief EU negotiator, is not going to wake up and say, good heavens, the Tories have taken the whole of Wales and they've made deep roads into Scotland and they've got a majority of however many hundred it is and say, well, we'll have to cut then the bill for the UK from 100 billion to 30. That's just not going to happen. Now, you can make an argument that if Mrs May comes back with a substantial majority, say over 100, then she will be in a much better position than she is at the moment to come back with a deal from Brussels, which she has to put in a vote to the Commons, with some very difficult compromises, but say, well, we'll have to maintain under some kind of jurisdiction, not the ECJ, but something equivalent, we'll have to pay a Brexit bill, and so on and so forth. So in that sense, it does make, some people say, a deal more likely. I have to say, however, that the way Mrs May is conducting the election, insisting on having an immigration target, bringing net migration down to the tens of thousands, really ramping up the rhetoric against the EU, it doesn't give me the impression that this is a prime minister who's going to be that easy for turning. So one has to modify that point. One of the ironies is that there is an endless debate about whether a large majority for Theresa May means a hard Brexit or a soft Brexit. The bottom line is that Theresa May is committed to a hard Brexit. She wants out of the single market. She wants an end to free movement of labour. Those two characteristics in and of themselves mean it will be a hard Brexit. That is correct. I think the point is that because she has the large majority, there's a better chance of an orderly Brexit. And also there's a chance of a transition. That is what the election has created. Now, we've touched on the British election and on the German election and only slightly on the French election. Will the victory of Emmanuel Macron in France have an effect on the negotiations? What do you think, James? I don't think it will have that much, no. I think there is an assumption, Sarah, I don't know if you agree with this, in this country that European leaders are obsessed with Brexit. They're not. (laughs) He's got enough on his plate. (laughs) Emmanuel Macron has to do the following things in the next year and a half. One, he's obviously, as Sarah said, got to win these National Assembly elections as best he can. Secondly, he's got to push through French economic reform. Thirdly, he's got to try and bring round the German leadership, Angela Merkel or Martin Schulz, to a more accommodating position on the fiscal side in Europe. 
I think Brexit is something he can basically leave on automatic pilot for a while to be dealt with by the technicians in Brussels who have got this huge raft of really complicated issues to deal with. I don't know, but you would say perhaps he has got a rather firmer tone in support of Europe than a lot of other leaders. Yes, although having a firmer tone than François Hollande is not that difficult. I think you're absolutely right about the fact that here in the UK, we think the entire EU is talking about Brexit the whole time. No, it is only us who's talking about Brexit the whole time. A lot of nonsense has been talked about the victory of Emmanuel Macron, meaning that the terms of the British exit from the EU will be harder. I think that's simply untrue. The EU has a very clear and straightforward message, which is that it cannot be shown to be beneficial to any country to leave the EU. France and Germany are strong believers in a coordinated Europe, in more Europe, not less Europe. And Macron is simply sticking to the party line. Thanks, Sarah and James. And thanks for listening. We'll be back next week for another unvarnished look at what Brexit will mean for Britain's trade, economy, public institutions and private sector. We hope you'll join us then. And we'd be delighted in the meantime if you wanted to review or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you download. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.